Um, as you can tell, we're trying to figure out what we're doing right now. Um, yeah, we had a normally planned um, church service. Uh, we are going to stick with First Peter, um, moving on to the exciting topic of government. Um, but in light of um, what's going on with Busby, we wanted to change things up. We didn't think we should just kind of barrel through as though nothing's happening. Um, so we're going to, I have, I quickly, um, this is not the sermon on First Peter. I uh, tried to put something together. Terry's going to uh, lead us through Psalm 23. We're going to pray and then worship again. Um, this is hard. I was trying to think of what to say in light of what's going on with Busby. Um, and I think there's... Um, I asked Terry, um, since he's talked to more people, where uh, what he thought people were struggling with, what they needed to hear, um, and he said, why? <laughs> um, so that wasn't helpful. Um, but I think that those are the two questions we come with. Um, why and what? Like, why is this happening and what can we do about it? Um, I, mean, I feel wholly inadequate to answer that question of why. Um, I know because I get asked why about terrible things by my wife all the time. Um, every time she hears some bad news, every time she hears a marriage falling apart, every time she reads a story of somebody getting sick, she comes to me and asks me why. Um, and I answer to the degree that I can into where it's pertinent, some historical background, some causal factors as why. But when she asks me why a marriage falls apart, she's not asking me for the fact that they weren't talking or they had um, unresolved issues or they had lived their life in a way that was driving them apart. She wants to know why marriages fail. At which point I give almost the same answer every time that a long time ago there was a tree. And this become a joke, I think. And I mean it partially as a joke because I make jokes when I don't know what else to do. But it's also the best answer I can give. The Bible doesn't give us a good why. It's a lousy philosophical text when it comes to trying to answer the problem of evil. It makes very little effort at the problem. If you're really interested, there's volumes of books on this, some of them good, some shockingly bad. But the truth is, I don't think when a person is actually asking the question from the point of pain, any of those books help. No one wants a philosophical argument for why my kid is dead or why my marriage fell apart. That's not what answers the hurt that people have. And what the Bible presents us with is a story. And I think there's things we're meant to draw from that story. That there was a tree a long time ago. And we're supposed to see from that that evil had a start. It was in that act that creation was subject to futility. It was not designed for futility. It has not existed eternally in futility. 
Love, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are God's nature. Those have existed forever. Death and decay entered this world. And we're supposed to see in that that God is bigger than those things. We also see that God's active in the story. In the midst of the pain and the struggle, and looking at that, it's not enough just to know that it hasn't always been there. We need to know that God's acting, and we need the Bible to remind us of that continuously because, honestly, it oftentimes seems like he isn't. I believe the Gospel of Mark was written um, under Peter's guidance to the church of Rome to help them with the persecutions that were coming under Nero. And I think that's why you get a story and you get the details that are drawn out in the story of Jesus and the storm. Jesus says, let's go across. He sets out a path for these people. And then a great storm, a storm that shocks seasoned fishermen comes upon this boat and starts knocking it aside. And it comes to the degree that they are panicking. And it tells us that Jesus was asleep in the boat. It tells us that the boat is being filled at that time. So we have a person asleep. It's the only time we're told that Jesus sleeps. And it's in the midst of a struggle and a challenge that people are fearing for their lives. And the question they ask is the one that I'm sure the Christians being persecuted under Nero are asking. And it's the one that we've asked again and again and again, and we always come to when pain like this comes upon us. Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? So the Bible tells us the answer. We see a God who's active in the pain of humanity. We see a God who didn't look at this once we fell and decide to just shuffle it off and start over again, because honestly, he could have liked that. But we see a God that works through this story. And he works through it because not only do we know that evil has an end from the story, sorry, beginning, we see that evil has an end. There will come a day when every tear will be wiped away, when disease will be gone, when all the enmity and strife, I mean, honestly, it's been a crappy day for a weekend for our country, too. When all of that is put aside, when it's destroyed, when it's cast into the pit where it belongs, and it will be gone. God is active working from here to there. And we see in the person of Jesus at the pinnacle of this story, we see that whatever the reason for why this happens the way that it happens, it's not because he doesn't care, and it's not because he's so concerned for his own regard that he will not dirty his hands to fix it, or that he's put some price that he will not pay. Jesus gets up and quiets that storm. 
Then he turns to the disciples and asks them what honestly sometimes feels like a cruel question. Why did you doubt? Where, why did you fear? Where do you not have faith? It seems like an unrealistic question to ask people who were in a boat that was, looked like it was going under. And it's asking people at a time where they had not yet seen who Jesus was fully even. This is a guy who's a teacher who's brought them. They believe he's a prophet. They think he's someone worth following, but they don't know who he is fully. So the questions they were asking seem reasonable, but Jesus still rebukes them. And he contrasts faith not with disbelief, but with fear. And the things I think we're supposed to draw from it are, first off, yes, he cares. Whatever reason he had for being asleep, they shouldn't have doubted that he cared. And we need to fight to understand that God cares in the midst of this. And the second one was, Jesus said, let's go to the other side, and he will bring people to where he promises. That boat was not going down. I think the other thing we see in the story of the Bible is somewhat about how we're supposed to respond and live in the midst of this story, in the midst of these unanswered questions, in the midst of a creation that's subject to futility, which gets to the what we're supposed to do. I think the first is we have to remember what we know. We have to return to the things that we know are true. We have to hold with confidence that no matter what, this cancer is not the final word in Buzzy's life. He will be cancer-free. It's not a question of if, it's when. And we have to hold on to that. We have to be assured of that. We have to know that's true. We have to hold on to the fact that God loves Busby and that he loves all of us. Because things like this, they throw us like a storm. So we have to remind ourselves, we have to remind each other, we have to remind Busby in a way that's sensitive of the truths that we know. We also need to pray fervently for healing. As I said, it's not a question of when, uh, if, but when. And what we see in the stories of the Gospels, we see that future day when disease is destroyed and cast out. We see elements of that pulled forward into this age. We see storms quieted. We see disease cast out with the word. The Bible is full of story after story of God's people calling out on God to rescue them and him acting. 
and we have to pray with faith, knowing that we are not praying for God to do something that is against God's will. We know that God's ultimate will is that this cancer is eradicated, that all disease is cast out. We're asking for him to do it now. We can't just pray. We also need to assist the Busbies however we can. And I know we're trying to be sensitive. We need to continue to do this, of not just inundating them with texts and burying them under a need to respond to each one of us, but if we hear of need, and as we do, we need to respond. We need to take as much of the material weight of this off of them as possible. And I think we do that well as a church. I'm not overly concerned, but we need to keep doing it. I think the other thing we need to do is pray. I'm not just being cheeky and putting pray in twice. We need to pray to process this. When I went through my divorce, the thing that saved my sanity, that saved my faith, I think that saved me, was that I processed the pain through prayer. God doesn't care if you're frustrated with him. Actually, he does care. He doesn't get angry that you're frustrated with him. You can call out to God in prayer with every question that you have. You can yell at the heavens. It's a better place to do it there than to have a nice, quiet prayer and then go away and try and figure out what's going on over here by yourself. Take it directly to him. My recommendation, as it always is, is pray the Psalms. Don't read the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. The Bible and the story it gives, the Bible's not written like a modern novel that gives us lots of interior understanding of what's aching in people's hearts. It gives us little bits. It's mostly telling us what happened. The book we get that gives us psychological insight into the struggles and the heart of God's people through all of this is the Psalms. And we see that ache directed towards God. The Psalms, there's so many Psalms that are simply, why God? Why God? This is terrible. This is horrible. This doesn't seem fair. Why? But you're good and still I'll trust you. The Psalms live in a place without that resolution that we're longing for. And right now, as I said, I sucked at the why. There's not something that's going to resolve this where we go, okay, this all makes sense. No, we need to go to God in prayer, honestly, earnestly, and the Psalms can be a structure to do that. And finally, we need to be present. The little verse in Romans, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. Right now we're weeping. Literally. But we need... Our culture sucks at doing those two things at the same time. I think we live and seek to live in such a way that's so distanced from pain that we go through moments of outrage or anger or struggle and then we just turn to rejoice. We are not the greatest at rejoicing and weeping at the same time. And this could be a long season, so we need to be able to do both of those together or else the Busbies are going to become a burden. 
because we're going to get to a point where we've weeped long enough. We need to be able to maintain the weeping while still rejoicing in the good news. As Busby goes through the struggle that the next months are going to bring, unless God heals him mercilessly right, mercilessly right now, we're going to need to be able to weep with the Busbys and in their pain while still rejoicing when Aaron's child's born. We need to be able to laugh and see the good things that our kids do while still feeling the pain for the Busbys in the midst of what their kids are going through. We need to be able to wed those two things together. The church generally sings really happy songs and maybe one song of lament. We need to be able to do weeping and rejoicing together. We need to grow up. Adults should be able to do that. And we can weep in light of what we know God is going to do. One of the striking images we have it's in the Gospel of John when Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus has been dead. He's been in the tomb. Jesus knows good and well what he's going to do. He sees people around him. He knows Lazarus' two sisters who he cares for. He sees the other people who are there who are weeping over this good friend of theirs who died. And Jesus, knowing that in just a moment, there is going to be great rejoicing because the disease and the death is going to be put away, he doesn't just skip past that. And again, I think this is a spot where we struggle as Christians. We struggle with how to hold together the pain of this world with the promise of the next. But death is terrible, disease is terrible, sickness is terrible. It is an evil that Jesus came to end, and we can respond to it with weeping and pain now, even though we know that it's defeated. Because Jesus stood at that tomb, knowing that he was just about to call Lazarus forth from that tomb, and it says Jesus wept. He saw the pain of the people around him. He felt the agony that they were feeling. And he wept. Jesus could marry rejoicing and weeping. We need to do the same. Father, help us in this time. Lord, this is one of those things that shows how small we really are. Even the most adept at us don't have some crafty plan that's going to deal with and address this. We see ourselves and we know that we're a people of limited resources. We know there were people who dislike pain. We know the tenderness of our hearts. Lord, we know we're inadequate. 
we pray that you would strengthen us. We pray that you would strengthen us to be there for our friends, for our brothers and sisters. Lord, help us as a church through this time to be your hands, to be your presence in the midst of this. Grow us to respond to this rightly. And we pray that you would be with the Busbys. We pray that you would be meeting them in their struggles, that you would be meeting them in the pain and in the fear. We pray that they would know the warmth of your presence near them. That your spirit would be saying again and again and again and again, I love you. Uphold them in this. Strengthen them in this. Protect them in this. And I pray, we pray that you would heal him. We know you can do it. We know that you love him. We know that you hate disease. We know that you bring healing. We ask that you would do it here. We pray that it would confuse the doctors. that the healing they see would not match up with the pathology report, that it would be such that they doubt that pathology report. They figure there must have been a mistake. Father, we pray for healing. Amen. You all okay? This is a... Excuse us for being a little bitty all over the place today. Um... How many of you don't know Cameron? Cameron is part of the church. There's Cameron, he flew in from Nashville to be with Buzz. Welcome. Good to see you, Cam. Um, so Cameron uh, sent me this uh, email that came in from a lady uh, in Hawaii. The church has been praying there, and a prophetic lady sent this um, and said, as I was praying... For this emergency request, I sensed there was more, so I kept praying and waiting on God. Here's what I got. We're just sharing this. It helps us in our praying if we feel like it's in God. It's not time, for the Lord will use him to teach more about his kingdom. His best teachings, mentoring is yet to come and may not be just about music. She says, I've got daughter. Don't know if he has a daughter. But she will be greatly impacted by all this, and God will be glorified. Do not fear. The peace of the Lord will be their strength and comfort. I want to just say something about peace quickly. Peace is what we need when we can't answer the questions. Because you can't answer the question, why? You can ask a general question, why? But you can't answer the specific question, why? We need God's peace to come in and settle that in our hearts. Is that all right? 
So we'll be asking for God's peace. Do not fear. The peace of the Lord will be their strength and comfort. God will somehow use this attack on this music mentor of your son-in-law, that's you I'm assuming, to impact him. The best music is yet to come, and even better, the best worship will arise and come forth out of both this man's family and another family or church or whatever, I'm not sure what that is. There is an anointing on both worship and family that is very powerful and dear to God's heart, and that I'm sensing in this ordeal. Stand strong. God will be glorified. Even your daughter will know how to strengthen and comfort and bring out the Lord's purposes. Oh, that's your, that's Kelly, eh? Okay. Uh, God will go beyond the medical doctors, bring healing. That was God, etc., etc. There's just a sense of a promise of people praying. Uh, we've got people praying, uh, maybe in about 10, 12, maybe more countries right now around the world, just praying for buzz, um, which we need to do. Um, every morning I send, try and send him things um, as I've been in my devotions or whatever. And this is one that I sent him this week. It's, 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 I think it's from an old hymn, as far as I know, by a lady named Annie Flint who died in 1932. So it could be a poem, it could be a hymn, I don't know. But it was part of my devotional reading. It says, He giveth more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. And it's been a good prayer that I've been praying over the last while. And so as, we, as it affects Buzz, and I'm, that's what's on our heart. That's very dear to us right now. But it's, it's, in, the, it's in the context of a whole bigger thing. So Brian brought up, the fact that there were, in the last 24 hours, there two mass shootings. In those shootings, I guarantee you, there are believers who, have, who were killed or are injured. Um, this year, in the United States, so far, there have been 251 mass shootings. 251. That means more than one where one person did kind of shot. This doesn't mean a gangster shooting each other. All right? 251. There's evil in our world, and that evil manifests in violence, it manifests in sickness, it manifests in all sorts of ways, and in all of that, we find Christians getting caught up. We don't know why. We need the peace of God to come. And so, as you spend time with Buzz, sometimes you don't have answers. Would you be like the first, when Job's friends first came on the scene? Would you be that to him and that sit with him and just sit and let him bemoan his lot or let him whatever, but just sit with him. Don't go over when the, when the friends then decided they're going to try and answer all the questions which the book of Job is telling us we don't have answers to. So don't do that. Just let's sit with him. And sometimes there's something powerful to sit and hold a person's hand. I was there the other day. We didn't talk for half an hour. We just sat. There's a place for that. All right? And these things will grow and change and whatever. Buzz is going to have to do some living as well, uh, which I've told him, you know. And so, all right. But I want us to process quickly Psalm 23. And the reason I want to do Psalm 23 is obviously, one, it's very dear on my heart. It's what I use every day. But two, it's something I've been processing with Buzz over the last months, actually. We've been going through some Psalm 23, and I want to read it, say a few things, and then I want us to break up and pray a bit out of this. Together in smaller groups gives us an opportunity to shout at the Lord if we need to pray, cry out. Let's read it. The Lord 
is my shepherd. Now, I want to change that as I did once before. John 10 tells us that Jesus is the great shepherd. So let's read it like this. Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Jesus leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus said this in the Gospels. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You will walk through the valley of hardship. But fear not, I have overcome the world. And I think that's a place where we have to rest in the province of God, that in, in, in the fullness of what God is doing, he's overcome the world and he's bringing that to fulfillment at some point that in the future that's going to happen. This morning I preached on 1 Corinthians 13, the last verse of that is, after these, there's faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And we need, we need hope. Hope is, is looking and believing that God has got a day coming, as Brian spoke about, when all tears will be washed away, all sickness will be gone, all violence will be gone, all war will be gone, all those things will be done with. The new heavens and the new earth will, be, will come about. We need that hope. But we need faith to get us there. Faith simply means as we are trusting Jesus to fulfill what he said he would do. All right? It started in his incarnation and resurrection, death and resurrection, and he's promised something else. He gave us the Holy Spirit to see us through. But we need to immerse ourselves in the river of God's love that runs from before time and will run to after time. We need to be in that place of love, which is, I mean, you read 1 Corinthians 13, all the different things of love does is patient. We've got to be patient in this time. Love is kind. We've we got, we got to think through all those things. Because you see, when the new heavens and the new earth come about, we won't need faith anymore. We won't need hope anymore. I hope that Linda gives me a new camera for Christmas. And I believe she has the ability and I trust that she can do that. But the day on Christmas Day when she gives me the camera and it sits in front of me, I don't need hope or faith for that camera. It's there. But love, my love for her will continue. Stupid illustrations for us to see. So we need these things. So as we apply this to Psalm 23, which is a wonderful, wonderful psalm, I'm going to read something from Life Without Lack. Has anyone read it? Dallas Willard's book on Psalm 23. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. I'm, I'm, it's right in the beginning. And it says, Yea, he's using an old translation, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Remember, it's coming out of the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd. A life without lack is one that carries no fear of evil. Our confidence in God soars far above wants and fears. Would you like to have a life without fear, a life of soaring faith? It seems like Jesus was constantly saying to his friends, fear not, fear not. Imagine what that would be like when in the boat. No fear of life. Aging or death, disease or hunger, no fear of any person or creature, not even the loss of all your possessions. 
You can live without fear, even in the midst of a world dominated by fear. I could easily have chosen Fear No Evil as this book's theme, because we are talking about a life from which fear is eliminated. While the psalmist clearly knows about life's dangers, he can still say, I will fear no evil. The question is, why? And I believe this is a why that we can answer. We can't, we can't answer the question why the evil has come and is affecting our brother Busby or brothers and sisters that might have lost their lives in the shootings. We can't. But we can answer this question, why we can live without fear and live in peace. And it's this, for you are with me. Jesus is with us. He walks with us. He walks with us in the hardship. He walks with us in the, in the good times. And we get illustrations of that in the book of Daniel. When the three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown in the, in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in. He says, there's someone else there. Jesus is with them. You know, you get, you get these images throughout. Jesus is with us. He, he holds our hands when things are rough. And I want you to know, and I'm convinced of this. I, I can't make a theorem to prove it. But I'm convinced of this. That Jesus holds Busby delicately and beautifully in his hands right now as he's going through this trial. And our goal is to pray that Busby will realize that Jesus is with him. Because if he doesn't know Jesus is with him, then he, he, fear will be there. And, pe and a lack of peace and will be there. But if he knows that Jesus is with him. You know, this is the wonderful thing about our faith, about what it means to follow Jesus, that no other religion, no other thing has is that Jesus is with us in the pain. He's with us in the fire. He's with us in the boat in the storm. He's with us, holding us, sustaining us. Is that all right? And so then I'm going to finish there, but just stepping back to this idea of faith, hope, and love, that faith and hope will end and love will continue. That it's important for us, and I think these are teachable moments for us, to come to grips with the reality that as we see life as it is right now, that's not all there is. There is an eternity in God when the new heavens and the new earth come and we will be with him. Right now, he is with us. That's why we don't have to fear. That's why we can have peace. He knows us fully. That in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, but there, that time comes when we make that trend, then we will also fully know. And we have to live with an eternity an eternal perspective. Otherwise, none of this is easy. But if you get an eternal perspective, it makes the hardship bearable and, and you're able to go through. All right? It's really important for us to see that. that we, this is a time for us to be strong, not going through big wobbles. I'm not saying we will never have any, but we want to know God is with us. Yay. I love that. Yay. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And as grieving friends, as we, we 
in the sorrow with Buzz, he is with us. All right? Is that okay? So I want us to break into a few little groups. And let's pray who our hearts are. We want to pray for healing. We want to pray for a miracle, actually. Absolute miracle. Today I was standing in Anthem Thousand Oaks and an old gentleman was sitting in the front row. I've seen him before. He came up to me and he said, because I shared something of this about my week and what was happening. And he said, I'm praying for your friend. I had tumors and they are gone. All right? Can be done. So we want to pray for that. We want to pray with faith, believing, trusting. Our faith is that we trust that Jesus is able and willing. Okay? Let's pray that. We're going to pray that peace would come upon the whole Busby home. Okay? Please pray for Jess. Right? She's carrying a big load at the moment. She's making decisions, and, and she's doing fantastically, to be quite honest. There will come moments when that all breaks down, I understand. She's doing well. She's navigating all of this. Let's pray for that. Pray for the girls. Right? Is that okay? Are you up to praying? We pray in Jesus' name. We pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so maybe you could break up in a few little groups. Um, move around if you have to, whatever. And, and let's take 10 minutes, 15 minutes and pray. Um, and then we'll, do, we'll come back and do communion together. All right. Thank you.